to be adopted, what it means to be a part of the family of God. Just a few things that we're going to pull from this. And I really believe that as many times as you've heard about being a part of the family of God, as many times as you've heard about being a son or a daughter of God, that we all have a chance to walk out of this building today and be encouraged, to have some encouragement. And maybe here's something that we haven't quite heard before, or maybe put in a way we haven't heard it put before. But uh, I believe that we can walk out of here with some revelation today, every one of us, that will bring some encouragement and some hope to every one of us. So we are part of a family. Paul uses the word adoption in the book of Romans. This is from Romans 15 through 16. I'm sorry, chapter 8, verse 15 through 16. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I read that from the New Living Translation. And uh, it uses the word adopted. It also uses the word adopted in the King James. And the reason it's important to keep the King James handy is because you can go back using the Strong's Concordance and read about the original meaning of different words that maybe don't translate to English perfectly. Like an example I use a lot here is the word love. When you're reading through the New Testament, uh, you'll read the word love. And really there's four different Greek words for love used through the New Testament to know which type of love that the writer is talking about, you got to go back to the original language and look that up. So this is what I want to start off with today, talking about what that word adopted means and what it breaks down to in the original language, because there is a beautiful picture in the word adoption that we just don't have using the English word adoption. But we all know what adoption means. I know that there's some folks here in our church that were adopted uh, physically, when they were when they were kids, and man, what an amazing blessing that is! Lisa's family, her cousin, adopted five children. How long ago was that? Almost ten years ago now? Maybe over ten years. Over, ago. yeah, twelve. Twelve years ago, they adopted five kids. They were in the process of adopting one, and they knew that was their daughter. And the state said, "Well, if you take the one, you got to take all five blood children." I'm telling you, they didn't even hesitate. When that's your kid, that's just your kid. You say, whatever it takes, give me all five. And those five kids have become as much a part of our family as anybody that was born into our family through blood. Something that happened that you, you read about a lot or you hear about a lot when kids are adopted, especially kids that are a little bit older, maybe not quite infants, but we saw this firsthand with our cousins. When they were born, even sitting at the dinner table, the older ones would eat so fast and sometimes even hide food. They would take things from the house and hide it away because even though they were a part of that family, they had lived a life where things had been taken from them. They had lived a life where they had to uh, just try their best and fight for every little thing. They weren't being taken care of properly. And they were adopted into this family that loved them and was going to provide every meal for them and was going to send them to college and they're going to go home to the family every year for Christmas and Thanksgiving all throughout the rest of their life. But there was this mindset, even in the little children, that they had a break that was, i got to scrap for everything. i got to take what I can get and i got to not share with anybody. i got to take it for myself. It took a while, it took years, but that's not the mindset anymore. There's a lot of believers that get saved and get adopted into the family of God 
through Jesus, because of Jesus. We're brought in as sons, as daughters. But we keep this mindset that we're born with, that we have to earn what we've been given. We keep this mindset that if we don't fight for it, then, then God's not just freely given. we got to go fight for everything, every promise. We have to make it happen. When really, because of Jesus, who did it all, Jesus, yeah. who overpaid our debt, Amen. Jesus, who said, listen, you can't earn what I'm going to give you, so please don't try. Just believe yes. and receive. But we still go into it so many times with the mindset of, I'm going to earn it. I'm going to pay for it. In fact, a lot of believers, it's just built into our humanity for some reason. We, we try to pay for even our sins with guilt, with condemnation. It's like the currency that our brain says use, right? How many times have you made a mistake? You feel guilty for a couple days. Then all of a sudden, the guilt starts to finally go away a little bit. You stop feeling so bad for that mistake because your human mind says, okay, I've spent two days paying for this. Now I can move on. And if we're not careful, that turns into this thought. Okay, now God's okay with me too. Now if I pray, he's listening. Now if I go to him, he's accepting me when the truth is we've been staying away from him Right? Because of guilt and condemnation, but he hasn't gone anywhere. That's right. Don't forget, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've yes. seen the Father. Yes. If you want to know how God treats you, if you want to know how he thinks of you, read the story of Jesus. Read how he looked at the lady in the street who had just made a mistake, a prostitute who had, was committing adultery. He looked at her and he said, if you're perfect, go ahead and throw the stone. It is not lost on me. That he was the only perfect one in that circle. Mm -hmm. He could have legally and rightfully picked up that stone and threw it according to the law. He chose not to. Mm -hmm. He chose not to throw that stone. And if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He looked at her. He said, where are your accusers? He said, I don't condemn you either. In other words, he said, I accept you. Mm. I love how he didn't even address the sin. There's so many times in our life we want to go to the Lord and we want to address the sin. We want Him to address the sin. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent for repentance. We definitely should turn away from that stuff. That stuff leads to death. It's the truth. That's right. But what sin doesn't do is stand between a believer and their father. That's right. That's good. And that is because Jesus paid that debt. Yes. But like children who are adopted into a family, we got to break that mindset. I got to pay for this. I got to earn this. I have to do this and then I'll deserve it. Mm -hmm. No, Jesus deserved it. He earned it. It's a free gift. This word adoption is a pretty uh, complicated word in the Greek. It's a compound word. And I'm not going to get the pronunciation of these words right. I can, I can try a little bit, but... Uh, the word adoption, no, I'm not even going to try. It's a big <laughs> word that I cannot say right. It starts with an H. There's a thesia in there somewhere, and that's the word. It's a compound word, and it's, so it's from two other words that I'm also not going to say right. The themia is one of them, and huios is the other one. Uh, the second one is the primary word for the word son. So when Paul says, you have been adopted into this family. It's the word son, but then the other word is the really important one from this compound word because he could have used two different words. He could have used the word thethemia, which he used, or hysthemia. So hysthemia, which I, again, I'm sorry, I'm not saying it right, but that word is, 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 is to place something somewhere. But 
in a standing position. This is going to be something you have to kind of think about, right? But, but it's okay. We, we all can think about this. But it's to place something somewhere in a standing position, and the position and the placement is, is considered to be a type of active thing, where it's standing and it's doing some work on its own, but that is not the word he used here. Mm. The word he used, the themia, I'm just going to read this straight from the Strong's Concordance, to place literally and figuratively in a passive or horizontal posture. So whereas the one word that he could have used to talk about adoption has to do with standing in place and an active position, this word has to do with laying down horizontally mm. and being in a position of Rest. Wow. Good. Good. In other words, when we were adopted, it is nothing that we earn on our own or have to keep in place on our own. Mm. When we are adopted, we are laid down in a position of rest. Why? Because Jesus did the work. Mm. And so many times we try to stand up and say, No, God, I got this. And He says, No, be at rest. We try to stand up and say, I know you gave me this promise, but I, I think I can go earn it myself if I just do this, if I make it. Just be at rest. Yeah, Our adoption is a position of rest, and it is not a position that we have to even actively keep ourselves in. We can just be at rest in the promise of salvation. Be at rest in the promise of sonship, of, is it daughterhood? It's not daughtership. Sonship. Some of us have not experienced that place with our birth families. But I'm telling you, where humans fall short, God does not fall short. Your Father in heaven does not fall short. He doesn't change his mind when you make the biggest mistake of your life and say, all right, now you've got to re-earn it. Jesus did earn it, but that, that's too far. Mm. That mess up you just had. The cross can't cover that. No. Our mess ups are when we get into our own works. Would any one of us stand up and say, my works are greater than the work of the cross? No. Man, our biggest mess up, our biggest folly has still been paid for. It's the completed work. Our adoption is a place of being at rest laid horizontally down. I just think that's a beautiful picture. So you know what? Next time you make a mistake, let's just say you have Thanksgiving meal this week, you get into one of those conversations, you know you, you need to avoid with, at all costs, and maybe you step away from the dinner table and you think, all right, I'm feeling kind of lousy now. I don't know. Just remember who you are. Head back in there and just be at rest who you are. Take yeah, righteousness, yeah. peace, and joy back into that room. Yeah. And that's the case for every time, everywhere, not just a holiday week. But, right. but just remember, this adoption is not something you've earned. It's a place that is given to you. It's a place of rest. Just like you can't earn it, you can't throw it away. I love it. And when you are a part of the family, when you've been brought in, It's important to remember that the inheritance of that family now belongs to you. But also, what I want to focus on the most today, for the next few minutes, is that family's history belongs to you. Mm. So the past 
and the future of that family all belongs to you at that point. Lisa's cousins, the five of them who were adopted, have a, a brother who's the only biological child in the bunch. But I'm telling you, not only, miraculously, do those six kids look exactly alike. <laughs> From the way they're treated to their physical appearance, you would never believe that five were adopted and one was biological. But that doesn't matter. They're all, if there is a will, are written up in that will, right? They're all going to receive inheritance. Not only that, those kids own the full history of our family. And that's important because especially the Hebrew people know and knew the power of looking into the past to move forward into the future in faith. That's important. Psalm chapter 66, verses 5 through 6 from the Passion Translation says, Everyone will say, come and see the incredible things God has done. It will take your breath away. He multiplies miracles for his people. Yeah. He made a highway going right through the Red Sea as the Hebrews passed through on dry ground, exploding with joyous excitement over the miracles of God. The writer of this psalm did not physically see the Red Sea part with his own eyes. But here he writes, everyone will see. Because he knew the power and he knew the importance of passing that history on to everybody else. We have this awesome verse I'm going to get to in the New Testament talking about how God is no respecter of persons, meaning if he did it for somebody else, he'll do it for you. There's no kind of special favor on my life that's not on your life. This is kind of mind-blowing for at least one person. And there's no special favor on Jesus' life that's not on your life. God is no respecter of persons. So the writer of this song knew, man, if I can remind my people, if I can remind my children of the Red Sea parting, then when something is standing in their way from walking into a promise that is given them, they're going to see the Red Sea parting in their mind and they're going to walk right through that thing. Ephesians 1.18 is a New Testament verse that I talk about a whole lot here, but Paul says the eyes of your understanding Again, we're going to go back to the original language. That is the best translation of that phrase is our imagination. So that's what that fancy phrase, eyes of your understanding, is referring to your imagination. It says that your imagination being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's saying here that when our imagination can become enlightened with the hope we have in Jesus, that's the goal. Why is that the goal? Because we know that hope directs faith. Yeah. When we can get hope rising in our minds, when we can get hope rising in our hearts, you always hear me say this, but I always say it, get your hopes up. You're going to yeah. hear me say it a million times if you keep coming to church here. But get your hopes up because as a believer, right. when your hopes are, are in Jesus and when that fills up your mind, your faith it sees that hope like a light at the end of the tunnel. And your faith says, that's where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. So the writer, of, he, the writer uh, of the song here, which is probably David, said, hey, remember the Red Sea parting. They didn't. They weren't there. If they were reading that, they, that had been a long time before. But they had to use their imagination. They had to see it parting because, and there's something that's going to stand in our way eventually. But when we get that hope filling up our mind, mm. we're going to walk right through whatever it is. Come on. Yeah. 
It's why the Old Testament especially, it's why God was so, uh, why He told the people so often to build altars. That was for their memory. So they had to remember. It was for generations to come to remember what God did in that place in a moment in time. The Bible also says that people of Israel perished because they didn't remember what God did. Right. Altars are so important. Noah built an altar when his family left a boat. Abraham built an altar when the Lord promised him the land of Canaan. Moses built an altar when the children of Israel were attacked and they defeated the army of the Amalekites. I mean, you'll read about, in the Old Testament, if you pick it up and read, you'll read about altar after altar. Jacob built a ladder where he had the vision of, of angels ascending and descending to heaven. And, and you have altars in your own life. You might not consider them altars, but you have things in your own life, hopefully, that remind you of the goodness of God. Yes. Right? That remind you of what he did for you. I, I brought one with me today. I, one of mine, this is one of my favorite ones I have. You know, anything can be on. This CD is an altar in my life. I have it on a shelf. I keep it on a shelf out of my office. Uh, I can tell you what, what, what day this really became special to me. It was June 15th, 2017. It was almost a year after my dad passed away. He died in July of 2016. And, you know, Lisa and I stepped in as lead pastors, I mean, a couple of days after he died. And it was only a couple of days because we just didn't realize we were the senior pastors for two days. Uh, my mom looked at us two days after my dad passed away and she said, have you thought about this? You're the senior pastor now. And I said, I'm pretty sure you're the senior pastor, mom. And she said, no, it's, it's you. And uh, we were, I, I was up here preaching uh, nine days later, that ne next Sunday. And that started a new season in our life uh, of pastoring. Moving from worship leader and youth pastors to senior pastors. Well, after about a year of putting messages together without getting into to, too many details, I mean, it was a new stage in life. And a year later, I just, Lisa and I would have conversation after conversation saying, I think we're not qualified for this. I'm not sure that we are, are doing, I mean, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, week after week, day after day, I mean, we, we just don't know. We didn't, we, we didn't have all, we didn't know what we were doing. So I'm very unqualified. And one, one Sunday morning, it was, it was June 15th, 2017, so almost a year later, I was in my office before church having a moment uh, especially feeling unqualified. And I opened the desk drawer. I hadn't even cleaned my dad's office at that point. And his desk was even still the same. And I opened the desk drawer, and I found this CD. And my dad, who was not a very sentimental guy, evidently <laughs> made this CD. And it says, BJ's first message. It was called A Father's Heart, and he even has the date on it. June 15th, 2008. So it was nine years to the day of the day I found it in his desk drawer. And it was my first time preaching on a Sunday. And in that moment, I'm sitting in my office, and I'm thinking, I've actually kind of been prepping for this for nine years. Wow. It's been nine years since I actually preached my first message on a Sunday. That's almost a decade. <laughs> But I'll tell you, in that moment, it caused faith to rise up in my heart. And it became an altar of remembrance. And I keep it in there. On days when you're feeling unqualified, let's be honest, we all feel that way sometimes. If I'm out in that office, I can look up on that shelf and I can remember that, man, God has been preparing me for the moment I'm in since before I was probably even born. And he's been preparing you for whatever season and moment you're in. Amen.
that belongs to you because of your adoption into this family. Because when you look back on your family history, you will read all the way back in the book of Genesis about Abraham and his child, the child of the promise. That God said, I want you to walk him up the mountain, lay him on the altar, and sacrifice him. And for whatever reason, Abraham just says, absolutely okay. <laughs> and he walks his son, the promise, up the mountain, and he lays the promise on the altar. And you know that story. Before he can strike his son, there's a ram caught in a bush. Hmm. We don't do Greek and Hebrew stuff every week, but this week we got a lot. Because when you look up what kind of bush that was, you got to use the original language. This is a picture I want you to get. It was the equivalent of tumbleweed. Have you ever seen a Western movie? And you see a big, long landscape of the desert and that little tumbleweed gets blown across the stream. Can you picture that? Very dry bush thing that uh, it grows very fast above the surface, the roots don't go very deep, and even just a little breeze can uproot it and blow it across uh, the scene of a Clint Eastwood movie. <laughs> that was the kind of bush this ram got caught in. For that bush to have roots deep enough to catch a ram, it would have had it grown for almost 30 years. Wow. Almost 30 years. And this was on a hill, on the side of a hill. So for 30 years, this bush was growing, and not one breeze came along and blew that bush, uprooting it, blowing it down the hill. For 30 years, if you can get a picture of this, God basically had his hand over that bush, protecting it from anything and everything That's good. that was trying to uproot that. For 30 years, God prepared a bush to provide a sacrifice for that child of the promise that Abraham was laying down. Mm. It sounds really familiar when you start thinking about it, doesn't it? Jesus, our Savior, who was for 30 years being prepared until he stood up in the temple. And yeah. we sang about Jubilee earlier, but he stands up in the temple and he declares, mm. the Spirit of the Lord is upon Woo! Yeah. Yes. He declares the year of Jubilee after being prepared for 30 years. That's your family history. And when you have a dream, and you got a promise, and maybe you feel like you've laid it down, or maybe you even have a little bit, mm. that's all right. Because mm. your family history that Great. belongs to you says that it doesn't matter if you lay it down, or, it, or if it, on purpose or on accident, God has a way, and He's prepared to Woo! provide everything you need to so keep good. walking in that thing and to still see it, even if you feel like you've missed your opportunity. Wow. Even if you think very regularly, I'm too old, I missed the boat, I missed my chance. No. Mm -hmm. No. Your family history, your father will put his hand over a bush Woo. and keep it ready for you for 30 years. Come on. Come on. For you to see that promise. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Romans 2, this is what I was talking about earlier. Romans chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jews first, also to the Gentiles. So Paul covers everybody. And then he says, for there is no respect of persons with God. Amen. In other words, the very simple version is if he did it for fill in the blank, 
Abraham, he'll do it for you. Yes. Right. If he did it, let's go New Testament. For Peter, he'll do it for you. Mm -hmm. If he did it for Paul, he'll do it for you. If he did it for Jesus, he'll do it for you. Yeah. That's good news. Amen. That means when he had his hand over the bush for Abraham for 30 years or more, he's done the same for you. That's your family history. Your family history, the writer of Psalms already talked about it. But when God parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel to walk through on dry land into their promise, He'll part a Red Sea for you. He'll part a Red Sea for you in a different way. David wrote about that again in, chapter, in Psalms chapter 23 when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death. He didn't say, yea, though I stand still in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I get stuck in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I am in the valley. No. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. How did he know he was going to walk through? Because his family history, your family history, has a history of walking through the Red Sea when yeah. it's in your way. Walking through the valley of the shadow of yes. death when that's where you are. Just keep moving forward. Keep moving forward and remember that you have a Father who parts the Red Sea. And the children of Israel deserve it? I mean, let's be honest. Read that story. I mean, they were about to go into the desert and worship a false God. They were, and God knows the end from the beginning. They, they just saw the plagues hit Egypt. They just saw uh, the blood of the, of the lamb, physically blood of the lamb over their doorposts, save their firstborns from dying when every other firstborn in that country were killed. They saw the presence of God in a cloud leading them through the desert in the day. They saw the presence of God in, in a fire at night. They heard His voice from the mountain. When they were hungry, manna fell from heaven. When they were thirsty, water came from a rock. When they were attacked, their enemies were defeated every time. And when Moses was up on the mountain, in the middle of all that, they were at the bottom creating an idol to worship. But you know, God's still part of the Red Sea. He still did it. And let me tell you, He'll do it for you. Every time. Not only will he do it for you, I'm going to say it this way, he's already done it. Yes. He's given you the authority and the power Amen. on the inside yes. to speak to any yes. Red Sea. Yes. And you tell it to part. Yes. You have that authority. So many times the Red Sea in front of us isn't parting because we're not using the authority we yeah, already you're have. Right. We talked about this last week. Too many times we stand in front of it and say, all right, Lord, please do it, please do it. And he's saying, no, I've already done this. Yes. Speak to it. You have the authority. Walk through it. Sometimes you got to take that first step before you see the water start to dissipate. Yes. Amen. You're just standing in front waiting, but God says just step in. Yeah. And you know what? If it doesn't part, you'll just walk on top of it. Your family history has this awesome story about Gideon's army. Do you know about Gideon's army? He had 32,000 men ready to go fight this battle. And God said, you have a few too many. That's right. Come uh, on. So he's like, all right, uh, maybe we'll get rid of a couple hundred of them. Keep going. Keep going. We'll get rid of a few thousand of them. Keep going. Why don't you cut it in half? So they go from 32,000, I don't know, 16,000, 8,000, 4,000. You know what they ended up with? 300. God whittled that army down from 32,000 to 300. Do you know what that says? When I look back on my family history and I have that picture in my mind, 
God said that it doesn't matter if I have less than I've ever had in my life. Yeah. Whatever is Come in on, my man. hand is enough yes. to go through yeah. the Red Sea and get to where the Lord has taken me. To get to that promise. You're not too far gone. What you have is not too little. Come on. And Moses had a whole army and it wasn't until he had only a staff. I talk about that too much to talk about it again, but it's one of my favorite stories. But it's the same concept right here. Gideon had 32,000 men. God said, nope, we just need 300. That's what he had, and it was enough. And that story will encourage you. If you can see that, that will encourage you. David, five stones was enough. Really, one stone was enough for David to take down Goliath. It was a whole army in front of Goliath. The whole army of Israel was in front of him. God needed a stone. Yeah. That's your family history. That belongs to you because you've been adopted. Yeah. How about the story of Elisha and his servant in a cave surrounded by an enemy army. And the servant's getting nervous. I can picture him now. Elisha, why are you so calm? Why aren't you nervous about this? Why aren't you trying to find a back door from this cave? And he said, go out and open your eyes. And he steps out and he opens his eyes. And yeah, he sees the army surrounding the cave. But then he sees another greater army surrounding that army. Elisha goes, there's more of us than there are of them. That's your family history. And when you feel surrounded, and when you are surrounded, and when you got, uh, when you're surrounded by by, by, by negativity, uh, when you're surrounded by uh, the, the, a low bank account, when you're surrounded by uh, what do we got going on right now? When you're surrounded by wars and rumors of wars, when you're surrounded by inflation, when you're surrounded by by all kinds of things that are staring at you every time you turn on your phone notifications or you turn on the news, when you're surrounded by an army of fear and anxiety. Remember your family history and open your eyes. Not these, your spiritual eyes. Yes. Open your eyes and remember that there are more on your side. Yeah. That's good. That's so remember good. that you're not subject to anybody's economy other than the economy of love. Yeah. Remember that you're not subject to any kingdom other than the kingdom of God. Right. You're an ambassador. Man. We've been talking about adoption. The word ambassador is just as powerful because you're called ambassadors, meaning an ambassador from our country going to a different country is not subject to the laws of the country they are in. They're subject to the laws of their own country. Yeah. And let me tell you, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, sons and daughters of God. And around us feels like it's that is not what we are subject to. The law of our kingdom is the law of love. It is built on righteousness, peace, and joy. Joy in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> But when you open up your eyes, your spiritual eyes, when you start to really believe that you're a son and a daughter of God, when you understand that that is not a place that you have to earn or even keep earning, but remember that word means to be laid horizontally. In other words, it's a place of rest. You can't unearn it. It is yours. That is your place. And not only does that inheritance, the promise, 
of salvation, promise of healing, promise of the Holy Spirit become yours, that inheritance, but that family's past belongs to you. And man, pick this up. Read it every day. I love it. I read some of the Old Testament and New Testament every day. These stories from the Old Testament light up my imagination. Get that hope going. And then my faith knows that's where we're headed. We're going to head right through that Red Sea. There's more of us than there are of them. And the New Testament tells me I'm a son. And there's nothing I can do to get kicked out. The parable Jesus told about the son. And put yourself in that. Put yourself in that position. We've all been prodigal at one point. Right? Don't forget, when the son decides to go back, I'm not even sure he was really repenting. He just was hungry. <laughs> he said, even my, the servants in my father's house have food. But as soon as he was within the eye shot, the dad ran out to him. That's your place. That is your history. It belongs to you. It's a powerful, powerful word. Let's all stand together. I want to encourage you to, if you haven't done this or you've never seen this before in your life, but, but I mean, create some altars in your life this week. I mean, if you're living in a home that's a miracle that you live in that house, if the house itself can't remind you of that when you pull up, I don't know, do something. I don't know, get a piece of art or something you can hang on the wall to remind you that this house was a promise that God gave you. If you were believing for a kid you couldn't conceive and you have a kid standing beside you, you were able to conceive, man, you've got a, a living altar right there. Remember that every time you see that kid. Make some altars. It's for the simple reason of remembering what God did.